If you were not here with us last week, we started uh, a new series um, called Qualities uh, of a Christ Follower, and, and Pastor Doug opened it up, uh, and so we're going to continue with that um, today. He gave uh, a good uh, introduction and kind of, you know, got me excited about football, and uh, this week is SEC Media Days, and so I'm already kind of getting in the in the groove for thinking about uh, football, but one thing he talked about is uh, the, the team aspect of, of being a Christ follower and, and being on the same team, and he referenced how everybody on, on the staff has a favorite team that we follow and, and that Stacy knows that football gets played in the fall, and that there is, there is uh, a tendency that we might have when, when thinking about this and when reflecting on the qualities of a Christ follower, that we might see this as an opportunity for us to develop a checklist and start looking around and being like, wait a minute, that person said this, that doesn't line up. That, that person acted like this or, or didn't do this or, or did do this. Let me make a note of that so I can find out if they're on my team or not. And really, uh, this series is, is nothing about what anybody else does and 100% about what we do. And on reflecting and, and standing in front of the mirror and saying, am I living a life that is aligned with what I am saying? Am I acting and speaking and living the qualities of a Christ follower? And if not, then that is the reflective aspect of going back and saying, how connected am I? Because we've talked and, and we know that, that basically the more connected we are to Christ, the more this outflow of these qualities of a Christ follower exists. And we can't just see them in silos. We can't just focus on, all right, today I'm not going to use any bad language. And today I'm going to love my neighbor. That it's, it's about first being connected to Christ and once connected to Christ, all of those things become outflows uh, of Christ and, and His love and forgiveness, and, and we get to uh, be His hands and His feet because of how connected we are with Him. So, I don't know if this was uh, Pastor Doug's doing or if this is just how God worked it out, but uh, the second part of uh, Romans 12 is about humility. Uh, so, I get to step in today uh, and speak uh, about humility. If you've been around for a little while, you know that uh, potentially pride uh, has the ability to, to take hold of me and to uh, overcome me, and, and so it's constantly something that, that I'm aware of and that I'm having to check my motives, and I'm having to make sure that, that when I do something and as I'm going out and, and speaking and acting that I am doing that so that God gets the glory and not so that Jay gets the glory. And so, uh, this was very helpful for me, and so if you get done today and you're like, wow, that was really boring, I didn't learn anything, it's cool, I learned a lot this week, so um, just feel better about me and, you know, maybe it'll work out for you in another time uh, when that has issues for you. See, pride, it's just, it's, okay, don't worry about it. All right, so let, let's go in, into the uh, verses here. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12. Uh, verses 3 through 8. If you are using the Pew Bible, it is uh, page 1137. 
as you turn there, um, you may have a different uh, subtitle, but the one that, the, that is in our pew Bible says, Humble Service in the Body of Christ. And, and really what you're going to see is this kind of has two big takeaways. The first is humility. We referenced that earlier. And the second is usefulness. And really those two things tie together really well. And, and Paul does a good job of bringing them together because if you are not aware of what you are or who you are or where you belong in the grand scheme of things, you are not going to be useful in the body of Christ because you're either going to have this grandiose opinion of yourself, I'm too good to do some of these things that other people have to do, or you're not going to have a high enough opinion of yourself and you're going to think, I'm not good enough to do these things. And so it's really important that you get an accurate representation of who you are as a follower of Jesus so that you can be useful to the body. So let's uh, start with verse 3, Romans 12. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, Jay, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So, a couple things stuck out to me, and, and I think that they're significant as we look at these verses. Paul opens, uh, for by the grace given me, I say to you, so he's using that to kind of remind the church here of, of his apostleship, but I also wonder, and I didn't read this anywhere, this is completely how I am thinking about it, I wonder if there was a point in Paul's life where he thought more highly of himself, and he's almost reminding us that in that transition of him going from Saul to Paul, this, this grace, this knowledge, this new life that he is living that is what is reminding him, and, and that is what is allowing him to speak to us about this, that he knows that this is really something that we have the ability to get tripped up with and that we have the ability to let this seemingly little thing, I'm, I'm pretty good, you know, don't, I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm all right. That little thing right there, that can be the difference between being able to be used by God in the kingdom and then taking a step back and saying, well, I can't do that because of who I am or because of, of how I feel about myself. But really for me, the big thing in verse 3 is, is the two words, sober judgment. And, and when you think about the opposite of sober, uh, you think about somebody that uh, is inebriated. And uh, you can go onto Facebook or you can go onto probably a variety of internet sites and watch videos of what people do and how they act when they are not sober. And in many cases, it's quite comical, you know, because we're not the ones running into the wall. They're the ones running into the wall. Um, 
you know, I, we go to a couple Georgia games a year. We go to a Jaguars game here and there. Uh, those football activities seem to uh, encourage people to partake of alcoholic beverages in, in excess. And you see people making decisions that are not sober judgment. If, if Joey was here, Joey, you know, does some of the security at the Jaguars games, he can tell you some real good stories about people falling down steps and trying to go the wrong way and everything like that. When we are not of sound mind, we often make poor decisions. I, I, I've heard alcohol referred to as liquid courage before. You know, sometimes it makes you think that you're bigger than you are or smarter than you are or better looking than you are. Whatever it happens to be, sober judgment is really significant in getting an accurate representation of ourself. Um, I also, uh, this last week, um, Aaron and I are leading a class on the Daniel plan on Wednesday nights, and we've done four of the six weeks, and the unique thing about the Daniel plan is that uh, it is not a diet plan or it is not a, a losing weight plan. It's about living a healthy lifestyle. And so, uh, Pastor Rick Warren talks about uh, the five F's, and it is, I should have practiced this beforehand, help me if I mess this up, it's, it's faith, food, fitness, focus, and friends. And so, we just finished the week on focus, and uh, there's a doctor that's interviewed, and, and he talks about how often our brain sends us incorrect information. And I kind of thought about that for a minute, and I was like, okay, why would our brain send us incorrect information? But, but he talks about, uh, the doctor in the interview, um, investigating your thoughts. And anytime I hear the word investigating as a scientist, I'm immediately kind of, my interest is peaked, and I'm trying to figure out, okay, I like to do investigations. I like to figure out why things happen. But but he talks about so many times, you know, you, you have a, an argument with someone or, or you have a bad encounter and, and you leave that and you're like, oh, I never say the right thing. And if you allow that to fester and, and you allow that to grow, then you start thinking negatively about other interactions that you're about to have. But if you stop and you investigate that thought and you think, wait a minute, do I really never say the right thing, or, or was that just uh, a bad encounter, or did, did something just go wrong there, you know, and, and maybe you have the opposite issue, you know, am I really the smartest man in the entire world just because that meeting went, went really well? No, I, I'm, I'm probably not the smartest, but, you know, I, I probably planned for that well, or, or that worked out in a, in a nice way, or so whatever end of the spectrum you're on, stopping and thinking about what you're telling yourself. And not that it has to be, you know, like this peaches and rainbows, like everything's okay. Like sometimes we do need to, to kind of think about how to better interact with people and, and stuff like that. But these huge dramatic steps when you go from I never do anything right, I always screw things up, probably not. When you really investigate that, do you actually always get it wrong? So, so I look at this sober judgment, and I think about it's really significant for us to know 
ourselves. When I was still teaching at Ed White, um, I taught a science class that was a cohort of students, and they were the AVID students, and that's A-V-I-D, and that stands for Advancement Via Individual Determination. And it was really geared towards middle-of-the-road students, not the high-of-the-high kids that are going to be rock stars in college, not the low-of-the-low kids that really need lots of extra help, but kind of that middle-of-the-road kids, you know, a lot of times they may be the first one in their family if they went to college, so there's not a lot of family pushing them to go and, and do things. But the very first lesson every year that we always taught with our avid students was about metacognition. And if you are metacognitive, you understand how you learn. And it's really important for students, and particularly this subgroup of students that wasn't necessarily getting a lot of push from home, most of their push was coming from school, it was really important for them to identify early on in their high school career, how do I learn best? Maybe I love to just hear the teacher talk. And then I go home and I make my own notes. Maybe I need to bring colored pencils and I like to do arrows and pictures and underline. Maybe I need to, to tell somebody else what I was just told to make sure that I'm understanding what I'm doing. Maybe I need to put my hands on it. There's lots of different ways that students can really lock information into their brain and, and to make sure that they understand it in a way that makes sense to them, not just in the way that the teacher delivered it. But looking at this and, and the beginning of these verses, I, I think it's really significant when we think about sober judgment that we understand our place in the grand scheme of things. Because if, if I don't have an accurate representation of myself, then I'm either going to think too highly or not highly enough of myself. And, and honestly, when I, when I look at me, um, I know that if I am not well-connected to Christ, and I know that if I am not using sober judgment without God, I'm not a great person. And it's not like uh, without God, you know, I'd be an axe murderer or anything like that, but I know that I would be 100% focused on me. And my life would be about what I want and what I can get and how quickly I can get it, and then how I can lord it over other people. But I know that with God, I'm a better husband, I'm a better father, I'm a better co-worker, I'm a better friend, because with God, I see that it is not about me. My job is to love God and to love others. So it is through that connection with Christ that I can take this 100% life about Jay and turn it into trying to share love, share grace, share forgiveness to the people that I interact with every day. When I really sit down and think about my job and my role, it's really small. But I can see that everybody's role is really small. But when all of those really small roles start working together, huge things happen. Amazing 
things happen. And so Paul does a great transition here as you move into to verse 5 and then through 8. He opens with humility. Know who you are. Know how small you are in comparison to God's giant plan. But when all these little parts start working together, look at the huge difference that can be made by a body of believers. So let's look and finish up these verses. Verse 5, or I'm sorry, verse 4, he starts talking about the body and, and the members of the body. And he also references this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So this is something that we see kind of Paul trying to reiterate to different churches. But verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. That means everybody has a gift. Everybody. Doesn't matter if you are this gift or this gift. As followers of Jesus, we are all provided with a gift. And what we have to do is focus on, number one, finding out what that gift is. So let me give Doug Cooley a quick uh, plug about our spiritual gifts uh, class starting on Wednesday nights. And number two, we have to figure out how to implement that spiritual gift wherever we are, be it here in the church body, be it um, at school, be it at our work site, wherever we're at, we have to figure out how to utilize the gift that we've been given. Uh, there's a quote that uh, is pretty popular uh, going around schools these days. Um, it is attributed to Albert Einstein. Uh, I did probably way too much searching on the internet uh, for this, but there is no uh, Albert Einstein writing that can attribute this to him. So I guess when you're a genius, you get really good things attributed to you. Um, but we don't know who said this, but, but the quote is this, everybody is a genius, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing it's stupid. And so you see that in, in schools because a lot of times our focus in schools is what a student is not good at. So you got a kid that is an amazing reader, loves to read, can tell you everything all about reading, but if they're not very good in math, stop reading. You're okay there. We need to focus exclusively on this one area where you're not as good. Instead of saying, you know what, maybe you're just never going to be a kid that's a rock star in calculus. But let's focus on what you're awesome at, and let's see how to push you and get you, get you better in that area. So instead of making you think, well, you're not very good in math, let's just push and talk about how great you are at reading and, and what you can do to become better at that and, and how you can live a great life and impact others through things that you're good at. But I see the same thing um, when you talk about parts of the body. You know, if, if God has given you a gift and for some reason you see it as unimportant or you see it as less than or, or not significant to somebody else, you just mope around and be like, oh, do this is my little gift. I don't really like it that much, but, you know, this is what God gave me, so here I am. Every gift that we've been given is significant and is made to be used to benefit the body of Christ. Uh, 
we're in Jacksonville, so we're uh, a Jaguars town, even though they've really only been here for about 20 years or so. Um, but there's another team that's been pretty good the last uh, few years, the New England Patriots. Um, and though they certainly, you know, have potentially bent the rules or rewritten the rules or, or whatever it is that they've done, they, they have a motto. And, and Coach Belichick uses this over and over and over again, and their motto is, do your job. And, and really, what that saying is, what I think Paul also was telling us. Whatever it is God has gifted you with, do that to the best of your ability, and don't worry about anybody else and what their gifts are. Because if the linebacker starts worrying about if the cornerback's going to cover the receiver and runs to go cover the receiver, then your running back's wide open. And if the quarterback starts worrying about if the center is going to snap it right, or if everybody starts doing somebody else's job, things are going to break down. But when everybody focuses on what their job is and doing their job to the best of their abilities, then you see the team gel. Then you see the team move from being good to being great. Because when you are exclusively focused on what you do and how to do it best, now you've got 11 people doing the best that they can versus having 11 people doing a pretty good job at their job and an adequate job at somebody else's. Um, in high school, uh, I was playing baseball one summer, and I got hit by a pitch and broke my fifth metatarsal, which is like your pinky bone in your foot, not on your actual toe. Um, but that, it happened right before we were going back to school, and that fall, I had a solo in the halftime show. And my band director told me that he was not going to let me go out with my walking boot foot thing that I had on. They didn't cast it, but it was something. And so I was uh, 100% bound and determined that I was going to figure out a way to get out on that football field so I could play my trumpet solo, see pride issue earlier in the beginning of this talk. Um, so what I did, unbeknownst to me, is I started modifying the way that I walked with my left foot so that I actually walked and rolled to the inside on my functioning bones and did not put any weight on the outside on my broken bone so that I could walk and I could get out there and I could, I could play my trumpet solo and it worked for the first week and then I had to go back to the doctor. And I took the little boot thing off and he said, okay, now, now walk. And I started walking and he's like, uh-uh. That's not how you walk. What do you mean that's not how I walk? I didn't fall down. I'm, I'm walking in the thing. He's like, no, 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 no. You're not putting any weight on the outside of your foot. You're going to have to wear this again for another week, and you got to think about and concentrate and walk putting all the weight on your entire foot. And I think about that, and I think about this story, and I think that's what the church does. When we have people that are, that are not utilizing their gift, there are other people that want to step up and, and want to help and say, okay, well, I can do this. Well, I can also do this. 
But when we have people outside of their gifted area, they're just doing an adequate job because it's not what God has made them to do. So it's really important. If you're not utilizing the, the gift that God has given you, the church is probably not falling apart. But it may not be functioning at its peak capacity. It may be rolling its foot on the inside, trying to make sure that nobody knows what's really going on. But when we are all laser-focused on what God has called each one of us individually to do, and we are working together as a body, not only are we loving on each other and, and impacting each other, we're doing the same thing to the community. We're doing the same thing for the people that we interact with at work or, or at school or, or in our family. But working together is imperative when we look at the body and when we look at the significance of individuals. Uh, the last thing I will leave you with is, as I was reading, this was a quote um, from John MacArthur, uh, and I thought it really did a great job of kind of summarizing all of this. He said, God's divine plan for believers is unity in message and commitment, but diversity in service. Each one of us have been given, as followers of Jesus, a gift not to hoard to ourselves, not to lord over other people, but to take that gift and, and like a puzzle piece, Snap it in with all the other ones so that when you step back and look, you see a complete, fully utilized, completely empowered team working together, trying to impact the world. And when working together as a team, with God behind us, it's unstoppable. And so I want to encourage you today, if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, sign up for the Wednesday night class. If you do know what your spiritual gift is, make sure that you're utilizing that. And if you are kind of reflecting and thinking, ah, yeah, I do know what it is, but, but I don't really know how to use it. Spend some time with God. Spend some time in, in prayer. Talk to Doug. Talk to me. Talk to the staff. Find somebody who can help you figure out a way to utilize that so that together as a team, we can share God's love with everybody we interact with. Let's pray.